morning, turn with me to Romans, just the book of Romans, and we are starting in on our series. I don't think I've ever preached through Romans. This is my first time, wow, in, in my years of ministry. So we're going through this together. <laughs> I hope it's a blessing uh, for us. And what I like to do, you guys know this, uh, those of you who've been with us for a while, um, when we start a new series, I just like to orient us in regards to that series. Um, just kind of give uh, a framework, a structure, a big picture of what we're going to be going through. Believe me, we're going to get into the minutiae, we're going to get into the fine stuff, but I like to just kind of set us on track this morning, kind of uh, going through Romans, uh, like a 30-foot thousand view of the book itself, just so we're oriented in that way, because when we get into the weeds, we're going to get into the weeds, and it'll be nice to have kind of that overall uh, structure of, of the book and of the series. So uh, as we do come to Romans, um, let me begin with, begin with prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much, Lord, and we do thank you for your precious word, all of your word. It is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, Lord God, so that we may be equipped even as we seek to serve you, Lord, and love you because you first loved us. I just pray for this morning and for uh, this series, Lord God, that we would be engaged, that we would be learning, that we would be growing deep in our faith, reminded if we need to be of the great truths and the great doctrines of, of our precious faith, Lord God, and what it means to be in Christ, to be a Christian. So Lord, bless this time, bless this entire series to your glory and for our good. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin looking at Romans, you know, it's, um, I don't want to elevate it over any other book in the Bible because it's one of the 66 inspired books. It is awesome in so many ways, and hopefully that's going to come out and come through as we go through the series. Um, and, and you know that it's been called the, the great uh, theological, kind of like the systematic theology book of the Bible itself, kind of within the Bible itself, I should say. A lot of great theological themes. We're going to touch on all of those. Of course, the primacy of the gospel, the gospel itself, that is the main theme of this entire letter that Paul wrote. Uh, the nature of sin. Oh, my geez. Chapters 1 through 3, we'll be talking about that, a total depravity, uh, the nature of salvation, including our wonderful justification, things that belong to us in Christ, that we are justified in Christ, that, that we are being sanctified in him, that he's a God who predestined salvation, that we are elect, the future glory that awaits us in the Lord, all these wonderful themes, all these wonderful uh, uh, doctrines and teachings in this book. But I do not want you to miss... As wonderful as all these teachings are, this isn't just a systematic theology book. And we're not here simply to gain that um, knowledge of these doctrines. That's part of it, of course. But you need to understand something. When Paul is, is, is writing Romans, don't miss the deeply personal affection that Paul has for this church. He really does. And especially, you'll see that in, in um, towards the end of the book, and I think it's chapter 16, um, as, as he talks about people personally. But throughout this book, in, embedded in this book, in the doctrines that flow from Paul as he's writing this letter, is really grounded in his love for the Lord and for these people. That's something you really, you have to understand. Because we're not just learning um, 
cold doctrine. That's not it, man. This is wonderful teaching of the Lord of, of what he has done for us and who we are in Christ. And Paul wants to get that through. That's what he's trying to communicate to these people. So they understand and that we understand what it means to be saved from your sins by the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Romans is really what salvation entails, what it encompasses, what it looks like. And it's all God's doing. Amen? From beginning to end. And that's emphasized in this. It's nothing to do with us. It's nothing about us. It's all of God. And praise God for that. And so we can't undo, and Romans teach it, we can't undo what God has done for us. But what we do do is grow. We grow in understanding. We grow in our knowledge. Hopefully it's reflected in our lives as we learn, as we grow, as we live out these truths. There's, there's a holy passion in this letter to the church in Rome. And even though Paul hadn't been there, do you know that? He hadn't been there. He never met these Christians. Well, I'm sure he knew some of, of those in Rome. He absolutely did. But even though he hadn't been there, his love for them comes through as all of us as Christians are united in Christ. And that's a big deal for us as Christians, that we are united in Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter if we meet a brother and sister who, who live on another continent. When we come in contact with them, it's like we know them because we do, because we're one in Christ. What he did in you, he did in them. He did in all of us. So we have that connection in Christ. Amen? That's a wonderful thing. We're united in him. It's in Christ that we find our identity as Christians. Nowhere else. Not in our families, not in our jobs. That's part of what we do, but that's not who we are, man. We are Christians. We are in Christ, and he is our identity. That's what unites us. As Christians, it, it transcends, and, and, and even in the book of Romans, the gospel obviously transcends ethnicity, our upbringing, our social status. Those things fade in the light of who we are in Christ Jesus. At least they should. They ought to. They need to. Wherever... Animo whatever animosity may have existed. And believe me, there was animosity between Jews and the Romans and the Roman culture. You're talking in Rome. That's like the New York City, L.A., and Chicago all in one. That was the, the, the center kind of, 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 the, of the universe in many ways. Rome was the place to be, the capital of the empire, as it were, in Rome. And now you have Christians. Now you have a church. Praise God. You have people coming from, from that society and that status. Then you have others who are in Rome from other places, including Jews. And now they're together in the church. Believe me, there were many second-class citizens, including many of the Jewish people. They were considered second-class citizens. But you see, the, the, the gospel obliterates those kind of distinctions. Even though there may have been mistreatment and injustice, the slate is wiped clean in Jesus Christ, and we need to know that. In Romans, Paul makes clear what we have been saved from, what we were before our conversions, and who we are in Christ upon conversion. And so that leaves no room for boasting. That leaves no room for partiality in any way. That leaves, leaves, leaves no room for victim status. There are no victims as, as Christians. We are who we are in Christ, and we love him, and we're one in him, and the ground is level at the foot of the cross for us. Right? Because Paul brings it out very plainly. In Romans, we're sinners deserving judgment. That's all we are, all of us. And God has seen fit by his grace to take those whom he would, by his electing grace, by his mercy, according to his purpose and plan, to justify us by grace, to reconcile us to God through Christ, to sanctifying us by the Holy Spirit, that we may live faithful lives that seek to glorify God. That's it. 
That's, that's it in a nutshell. That's a Christian life. That's what Romans really is in a nutshell, very simply. There's so much more to that. It's going to seem a little more complicated as we go through it, but ultimately that's what it is. So we're going to do a quick flyover this morning. Again, just provide a big picture, flow, framework, whatever you want to call it, before we dig in and take our deep dive beginning next week. So if you have your Bibles, again, we're just going to kind of skim through. The purpose of this letter is given by Paul early on in chapter 1. In verse 11, he just says, I long to see you. Do you see that love right away? He says, I long to see you guys. I love you. I can't wait to see you because you are in Christ and you're in Rome and you're a faithful church there. And we need that kind of unity in the body, don't we, man? We're so, in so many ways, at least in our context, we're separate from each other. We're in Christ, but we do so many things separately in our own lives. Okay, we have our church, and we'll do Wednesday nights or, or whatever. But boy, there's, there needs we need to just really dig into that unity that we have in Christ and take advantage of that and really love each other and grow closer. You see that with Paul. He says, I can't wait to see you. I long, I'm dying to see you guys that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And that's so much what fellowship does. We encourage each other in the faith. Even when we hang out together, even if we're in an informal context and we're together, or it's a study, or you know, we're, we're just in, in a fellowship time, that's mutually encouraging. I mean, we, we just had a few of us at a diner the other day. It was just good to be there and talk to each other in and around the Lord. We keep each other accountable. We're, we're, we, we encourage one another in the Lord. You know, we might need to rebuke each other and say, hey, this is the way you need to go, right? This is what we, you can't live on your own and think that you're going to have a, a strong Christian life. The devil's too strong, man. He'll take you down in a minute. We need each other. Paul understands that. He sees the unity, so he wants to impart some gifts. So that's just so tender. And again, I'm just skimming this. We'll get deep, much deeper into all these things that I talk about this morning. The theme of the whole gospel, what the main point is, what he's really going to be um, bringing forth is, is just the power of the gospel. Verses um, 16 and 17, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Man, I'm just so tempted to start preaching on this, but I'm just going to skim. I'm just going to you know, lay it down easy this morning. Um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's it, man. So he's just going to expand on that and, and, and for, for the rest of this book. But he talks about the gospel, the gospel that has power. That's the power that changes us, doesn't it? You know that power if you're a Christian this morning, how you were dead in your trespasses and sins, now you're alive. That's the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit changing, converting us. It's not yourself. It's not you. You don't make yourself alive. That is the power of the gospel in Christ. And the righteousness, we have his righteousness, right? That's That speaks, and we'll talk much more about our justification in the Lord. We're declared righteous. It's not of ourselves. We don't make ourselves righteous. We're not good enough. We can't try hard enough. We can't do better in that way, so God will be pleased. It's his righteousness. And then we live by faith. So that, that power, righteousness, and living by faith, that means we live faithfully as Christians. We need to seek to live faithfully as Christians. Honoring him before we honor ourselves. 
seeking to please him before pleasing ourselves or even others, but being pleasing to Christ at all times. That's it. Is that your goal, man? That's, 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 please, that's living by faith. So Paul starts out and he talks about our problem. And in our problem, and then he's going to talk about our solution. And those are in chapters beginning in 118 to chapter 4. He talks about our big problem. We're going to spend a lot of time on that because that's where you need to start. You know, in today's day and age, man, we're living in such a sappy time that nobody even really wants to talk about sin too much. And to make mention of it, but a lot of churches don't talk about the depth of our sin and, and the depravity that, that where, where we live, that's where we are as people. That is the problem. Not just our sin nature, we're born in sin for sure, but the nature of sin. We know God. We suppress that truth of God. We exchange the truth. We give ourselves over to sin, so he gives us over to our sin. So you know the passage. I'll just read just a little uh, portion of it. One eighteen and following. We're told that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, hold that truth down. Everybody's guilty. Nobody can say, oh, I don't know. I don't know anything about God. I don't know God. You know him. You know him through what he's made and because you're made in his image. And so what you have to do is you have to fight that man. It's like keeping a beach ball down under the water, right? Push it down, push it down, because if you let it go, it's going to pop up. So that word suppress means to hold down. So suppress the truth and and unrighteousness. For what could be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish in their hearts, I'm sorry, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. So we're given over in that way because we've exchanged the truth. So he talks about sin. And even the Jews, the Jews who had the oracles, the Jews that had the advantages, the Jews that had the covenants of God, who had the ordinances of God, who had the law of God, were under condemnation as well. So what Paul's doing, he's saying, all of us, it doesn't matter you know, what, what ethnicity you are, what religion you are, who you are, all of us are under sin. Right? And we need Christ. Even the ones who he gave the oracles to, even though the ones he, the, the, the nation that he set apart to be a light for him, still needed him as well. So in chapter 2, verses, verse 12, we're told this, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And then he goes on to say, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So that includes everybody. They go over to uh, verse 21 of chapter 2. And again, he's speaking to the, the Jewish uh, leaders. You then who teach others do not... Do you not teach yourselves? While you preach against stealing, do you not steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who hate idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So everybody is under sin. That's it. That's, it's, it's blanket. 
Nobody can escape that. And the definitive statement uh, regarding our condition is in chapter 3. You all know this verse. So at least everybody who witnesses you should know. Um, yeah, verse chapter 3 and verse 23, what are we told? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So see, that's the, that's the news. So from chapter 118 to, to chapter 3, Verse 23, that really talks about sin. There's a lot there that we're going to talk about and cover the aspects of sin and the nature of sin itself. But then, after we're covered under that, comes the good news. See how Paul's working this out? Here's the great news. uh, That the grand teaching of justification by faith alone, that God does this. So John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but ever have everlasting life. Here in Romans, we're explain, we're, it explains how he did it for us. That, that he loved the world so much that he sent his son. This is what his son did for us, that we might not remain under the wrath of God. So that's chapter 3. He goes on to say... Um, You are justified by his grace, in verse 24, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed passed over former sins. Again, so much there. Just as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh man, this is going to take so... Just that verse right there might be two weeks. I don't know. We'll have to see how that goes, right? I'm just, Wow. There is so much here. It could be, we could be in Romans for a while, but hopefully the Lord will use that in a good way. So you understand? So he, he shuts us off. I'm here to bring the gospel to you. Here's how bad you are. Here's the bad news. Here's how sinful we are. But you know what? Here's the good news in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all a gift. And it's by his grace. And it's through his mercy. So in chapter 4, he goes on and it's, it's, he teaches us this awesome truth that this justification in God is not something new. It's not something that he just thought up. It's not like plan A didn't work and he had to erase that and now here's plan B. of justice. It's not that there was one way in the Old Testament that people were saved and now in the New Testament there's a brand new way. No, 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 no. He explains that it's not something brand new. All it is is a clearer picture of the only way it's ever been. You know, the only way of salvation that there ever was or there ever will be. It has always been such a salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're always, it's always been justification by faith in Christ. And he shows that by talking about Abraham and his faith, how he was justified. Not through his works, not by keeping the law, but by grace alone. He also talks about David as well. Um, so as we get into chapter 4, we'll see that. So Paul's saying, look, this isn't a new teaching. It's not something brand new. It's not something I just grabbed out of the blue. It's always been this way, just showing you in a very clear picture of that uh, through this example, that we are justified by grace. Then chapters 5 through 8, these are amazing chapters as we get to them, and they are dealing with uh, reconciliation, how we are made right with God, our sanctification, our freedom in Christ, our freedom from the law, and the glory to come. There's so much here uh, in chapter 8, but uh, I'm chapters 5 through 8, but I want you to to understand this, that when it comes to these chapters, I I really agree with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and others as well, that this whole section, while it does talk about our reconciliation, our sanctification, our struggle with sin, absolutely, with with the overarching and I guess underlying foundational idea is that 
believers in Jesus Christ, and, and this is what Paul wants to communicate through the things that he's teaching us in this chapter, that our faith in Jesus Christ, your faith in Christ is a sure thing. It's unshakable. It can't be broken. There's an assurance and a security there of our salvation in Christ in these chapters especially. Really important that you grasp it from that way. And uh, in, in that in that way, to understand that we cannot lose what he has given to us in Christ. And Paul labors in these chapters to show us that, to assure us of that, because some of the things we struggle with most sometimes is, am I really a Christian? Am I really in Christ? You know, do, do I really believe in him? Can I lose my, I know that I can't lose my, but can I lose my salvation? And there's a tension there at, at times for us. You could be in such deep weeds in your life, in your thought life, and, and so distant from the Lord in such a dry place, you might even wonder about, am I even a Christian? Am I in him? These chapters give us that assurance that as we trust in Christ, as we, as we believe in him, yes, you are in him, and nothing could take that away from you. Not, not even the sins that you're committing as you repent and believe. And if you truly belong to him, you will remain in him. He will not let you go. Because if it's up to us, we will walk away from him. Some of us will run away from him. But if you belong to him, he will not let you go that far. He'll leave the 99 to come and get you. Aren't you glad? Amen. And praise God. Because that's our tendency. And so Paul understands that here. And in these chapters, he's just reassuring us of our assurance in Christ. Because it's not us, man. It's him who keeps us. So um, it's our, our faith is grounded in our union with Christ. In chapter 5, we're no longer in Adam. We were in Adam. We're a new creation in Christ. We belong to him. So Paul says, even in Galatians 2.20, this is our only slide today, um, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We can never be cut off. We can never be separated. We can never be disowned by him. No matter if you're truly in him. See, and that's the thing. If you're truly in him, right? We can't be lost. We And, the, and as we go through Romans, you're going to be challenged to examine your faith in Christ. Is it genuine in the first place? Right? Because if it's not genuine in the first place, well, then you are in some trouble. You're in big trouble and you need to, you need to be reconciled to the Lord. But if we're in the Lord... And when we struggle with sin, which is most of the time, and even with our assurance, we have that assurance in him. Big, big deal as we get to these chapters especially. We're grounded in our union to Christ. We can never be cut off, separated, or disowned because the victory is Christ. It belongs to him. So verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, if you want to read with me. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, amen. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, <clears throat> and we now rejoice in hope and glory of God. Not that we rejoice, I'm sorry, not only that, but we also rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still 
week, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Do you see the love? Again, and the deep doctrine there. That's a deep, deep doctrine. But do you see the love of Christ? That love is poured into us. Do you see how much Paul loves these people and he's telling them that? You have the love of Christ poured into your spirit by, by the spirit um, who's been given to us, that he belongs to us. I can't wait to get to these passages to preach them. Um, he goes on to say in verse 8, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So there's that assurance, there's that love. And he, and he kind of closed, that's the, the first part of this section. And he kind of bookends that with Romans chapter 8, 31 through 39. So if you want to turn there. Romans 8, 31 through 39. So remember we just read, and he says, beginning in 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Again, do you see the love of, of Paul for the saints? We have everything in Christ. Who shall bring a charge against any of God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is, the, who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? See, he knows we're going to face all of these things to one degree or another in our lives. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ if we're in Christ. Amen? Do you see the assurance? Do you see the hope that we have in him? And Paul's bringing that forth to us. For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep uh, being brought to slaughter. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and praise God. That's that's what we have and who we are in Christ. So even chapter 6 and 7, Paul's talking about our salvation in the Lord he deals with different objections to grace alone, to being justified, like apart from the law. So back in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, because we're saved by grace, apart from the law, he says, what shall we say then? Are, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there's that encouragement to live for him. So he deals with these objections because people will say, look, if it's sheer grace, if it's that good, if there's nothing that we could do, then why can't we just live the way we want to? And then, you know, at some point, grace, who cares basically how we live? Right? Paul say, no, 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 that's not the way. Because if you're truly saved, you're going to want to please him. You have a new nature. And every Christian with a new nature wants to please, honor, and obey Christ. We have new affections, new priorities, and a new purpose in life. And that's what Paul's making. Yet, at the same time, sin still indwells in us, right? Therein lies the battle. There it goes. That's uh, chapter 7. 
Paul talks about this. In 6, we're raised to newness of life. We're not under the bondage of sin anymore. But understand this, the battle still rages. Wouldn't it be nice if it was all over? If we could just live the way the Lord wants us to live and the way we want to live for the Lord as Christians. We do want to serve you. We do want to obey you. But there's this remaining sin, not over us. So as Christians, we know more plainly especially, more consciously, when we're sinning against the Lord, don't we? As before, you know, we would really rationalize, justify our sin, kind of everybody, not even really think about it. As Christians, it's a little different, isn't it? We know what we're doing. And so we understand that. So we know what that sharp tongue means. And we know when we're tempted by lust. And we know what we're getting into when we do that. And therein lies the battle. Right? But even through all of this, we continue to persevere through it. We're not going to lose our salvation. Um, chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, these are you know some famous verses. There are so many famous verses in Romans, but... Man, listen to Paul say this. Here's that struggle and that battle with sin that we all go through. Who cannot, which one of you cannot relate to this when he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Huh? How many of us feel? When we know when we're sinning against the Lord, but we choose in that moment to, to satisfy ourselves whatever that desire might be, when we know we're sinning against the Lord and we know that we hate it. Paul knows that struggle very well. I do the very things that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good because the law shows us that. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is, is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells within me. So he talks about this law, this battling back and forth as a Christian. I want to serve the Lord. I'm battling with indwelling sin. And again, for a lot of us, for many of us, that might cause us to even doubt our salvation in Christ because, you know, how can I even be a Christian if I'm always battling in this way? Well, the hope for victories in uh, chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Praise God that he continues to carry us along. So even chapter 8, he goes on, uh, verses 1 through 4, talks about uh, how the law can't save us, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. That gives us victory over sin. That assures us of our place in God's plan as we're adopted and the glory that awaits us. So in chapter 8, he says, there... It is therefore now, I'm sorry, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according not to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Again, there's so much there, obviously. But the idea here is, look, in Christ and in Him, we have assurance of our salvation in that which awaits us in in the Lord Jesus Christ. So chapters 5 through 8, it's a big deal. They teach us 
Paul teaches us mainly these, these wonderful doctrines, but they're grounded, they, they ground our security, our assurance in Christ. That through all the difficulties of the Christian life, through all the trials, through all the temptations, through all your failures, through all the sins that you com- continue to commit, we remain reconciled, we remain forgiven, we remain in good standing with our God. Amen and praise God. That's a big deal in Romans. And again, it shows Paul's expressing the, the faith and hope in Christ, but he's showing the love for his people. Like he can't wait for them to hear this. You know when you're writing somebody and you want them to know and you want them to get it right away? That's kind of, that's behind this whole epistle of, of Romans. Like he says, I want you to know this so that you know what you have and who you are in Christ and that you're resting in him and living for him. Amen? Praise God. This is it. That's why it's, that's what makes it such an amazing epistle, amazing letter, not just the doctrines that flow from there, but kind of what's behind that, 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 that love of the Lord and, and the love of Paul, and he wants them to know these truths. No, then it goes on, 9 through 11. Wow. Um, I'm just going to put that very succinctly this morning. <laughs> that uh, Chapters 9 through 11, that salvation is God's doing, uh, that he purposed it from all eternity. Again, this is something that's not, you know, we just don't stumble upon it. And, oh, I, you know, I find, this has always been planned from all eternity. This is God's purpose. This is his decree. He has always had a people that he has called out. They are called his elect So we're going to talk about the elect of God that he predestined them according to his glorious purpose and sovereign decree. And that's a very controversial section of of Romans in many ways, even among Christians. And we're going to really delve into that because you need to know that our God is a sovereign God. He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. And what all of us do deserve is wrath, punishment, sin, um, wrath, punishment, and hell. That's the truth. But God in his grace and his mercy has from all eternity elected some to everlasting life by his grace and mercy. Others he's allowed to go their own way because they are enemies of God. So none of us deserve that grace or that mercy. He's seen fit to uh, pour upon his people, his elect. Again, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds this morning, but we're going to talk much about that, that salvation is truly all of grace and all of God. Well, then finally, as he closes out, we'll just uh, come to the end here uh, as we're building this framework. All this doctrine, all this theology, all this teaching, well, what's that look like? What's that lead to? Well, it needs to be reflected in our lives. And here's what you do need to examine yourself because you can call yourself a Christian all you want. And I don't care if you know the catechisms. And I don't care if you, well, I do care. It's it's wonderful if you read your scriptures every day, but you need to know them and love them and they need to be in your heart and then that needs to come forth in your life. Do you understand? That your dependence is truly on the Lord, that you're being used by him and that your attitudes change, especially at that moment where where you most want to act in the way that you see fit, in the way that you think is right, instead of the way that Scripture teaches us to, to act and to, and, and to um, bring forth our actions in our lives. Do you understand? It's a big deal. 
Because that shows that you're depending on the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when you have the right to be angry, even when you are in the right, even when you're being persecuted for doing that which is right, and you respond biblically, that shows almost more than anything else that you truly do belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because anybody could say with their mouths, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But one second a temptation comes, they fly off and they go that way. Or one second uh, a difficulty comes in their life and they're just going to react the way they've always reacted, just like the way before. And if somebody does something to you, well, I'm going to get even with that person because that's just fair and that's just right. And I am going to take matters into my own hands. And I am going to take advantage of that person. So you're telling me you're a Christian, that you've truly been changed, and this is what it looks like? See, Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. Oh, man, I'm struck with this you know, bad place. Why did God do this? And then we start to resent God. No, we're going to embrace the Lord. This is his purpose and plan, and I'm going to glorify him in that no matter what the circumstance is. And I'm going to be faithful. Well, my spouse doesn't really care for me, so why should I care for her? Wait a minute. You're called to honor the Lord in your marriage and life. Do you understand? That's a big deal. And Paul makes a big deal out of what our lives look like and reflect. Because you can know all the doctrine in the world, but it's ice-cold doctrine. It's dead orthodoxy, it's called. If you just know this stuff, but you're not living it out. It doesn't show up in your life. So Paul, at the end of this letter doesn't let us rest, verses 12 through 16, or chapters 12 through 16, we're to reflect on what our lives ought to look like, our attitudes, our mindset, our motives, our actions, in light of such a great, sweet salvation based on the transformation of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's, um, it's a transformation that changes our motivation. So, so like, like, we often say, look, we need to be, because of what Christ has done for us, that's what motivates us to serve him, to love him, and not ourselves. But that's based on the transformation. If you're transformed by his grace, then there's, therein lies the motivation. Now I want to please him, right? Before, if not, well, I'll just try to do this. I'm going to try to please my parents or these people over here or my spouse, kind of make them think I really am a Christian, but I'm really not. No. When you're truly transformed, that transformation, then your motive, motivation changes. I really want to please the Lord, right? Not to fool anybody or not just to please somebody, but because I'm truly changed. Capiche? That's a big deal. That's an understanding that. So these, these chapters kind of get to that because the Christian life is unfair and it is tough. And we have to take a lot of shots, you know, to, in serving Christ. We need to be living sacrifices unto the Lord. So turn with me to chapter 12. And these are like beautiful application, but this is the hardest part. It's cool to understand the doctrine and the teaching, but now living it out, that's the trick. That's the challenge. That's where it gets tough. But if we're in him, we will seek to do that. So chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect and then go over to uh, verse 9 he says this let your love be genuine understand your love needs to be gen- that's a hard thing for us to do because even our motivations when we're in relationship with others has to do get them with we want and not just loving them genuinely and unconditionally as we ought to as Christians. But he says, let your love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. 
outdo one another in showing honor. That's hard to do. We're intent oftentimes to put people in their place and to maybe keep them down. But now I need to outdo in showing you honor and grace. See, this is the tough stuff. This is the tough part. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek how to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Okay, right. Right? Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to doing what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Okay, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you know how hard that is to do? What I just read, we're going to spend a lot of time there. Because that's not our tendency. Even as Christians, we want to go the other way. Right? We're always fighting that battle. But this is what it looks like. And Paul is bringing this home. And you might think this is easy because it sounds so nice. And it is so nice. But it's so very difficult to do. Even if you are converted. Even as Christians. And you know that very well. He goes on in chapter 13 to tell us how to live as good citizens. And in relation to uh, the government and not capitulating to evil governments. And we're going to talk a lot about that as well. It's very relevant even for today as we find ourselves in that situation as Christians in, in terms of our relationship to the government. In chapter 14, we're to cultivate a charitable, self-sacrificing spirit, dealing graciously with one another, encouraging, building up, maintaining unity. Again, I'll turn to uh, chapter 15. Just read verses 1 through 7. Look at our example of Christ. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Okay, that's that like so not a contemporary thought in any way or any stretch of the imagination. You know, not, no, you know, I'm going to please myself and a person needs to get over it. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, for Christ did not please himself. But as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever is written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may be one voice with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. We're not doing anything special. We're not doing anything that Christ has not done or teaches us to do. Just like the servant, I think it's in Luke 11 or Luke 17. After the servant did everything he was supposed to do, he said, I just did my duty. You know, there's nothing special to what I did. I don't deserve more because I did this and that and the other thing. Jesus said, as a good servant, after everything you've done, after you served everybody, you worked in the field, you've come in, you, you, you came in, you set the table for me, you just did your duty. And that's all that we're doing. So we don't need to tap ourselves on the shoulder. We need to be thankful that the Lord's given us opportunity to serve one another. This isn't scoring points with the Lord. It's being who we are in Jesus Christ. And then finally, he ends this um, 
this letter with personal greetings, and we kind of come full circle. And, I, and here's that love again from Paul to these people. This is so much grounded in his love for them, his anxiousness. Like I'm chomping at the bit to get ready to preach this series. It's kind of like that when he's writing to these guys, like I love you so much. You need to know this and understand this. And so he, at the end, he, he greets. Um, it conveys deep love warmth and care towards the Christians in Rome, and he names them by name. So please pray for me when you get to this chapter that I name the names. I am, I'm starting to work on the pronunciation of these names even now because there are some in there that are really, really tough. But what he's doing, he's saying, I love you guys so much. So, you know, Leela and Kathy and Chad and Luke and Leo, you know, you guys and Jamie, and I'm writing to you and I'm saying your name because I love you. And it's just a, a laundry list of, of, of beautiful names that, that um, the, the personal greetings. He says, I commend your sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of mine of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, workers in Christ, who risk their necks for the gospel, right? Um, for, I'm, I'm sorry, who risk their, necks for, risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. Greet them in the church. And then he gets into names that are kind of tough to pronounce right now. But we'll get there. We'll work on those as well. But I want you to see that love. I love you guys so much. And I want you to greet, I'm, 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 naming you by name to give you that respect and that honor that you deserve. So that's it. That's the, that's the basic framework of Romans. Is that um, Next week, we're going to start in, even as Paul introduces himself and his credentials, and then he brings forth our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what Christ has done. So he gets right into it from there. So next week, we begin there. I hope there's a good kind of outline for you. Be thinking about these things. Even now, take some of the lessons uh, from this morning to our own lives.